Y'all do a great job. We are in Genesis 39 today. And uh, uh, I talked about the pit of despair a couple weeks ago when Joseph was sold down the river by his brothers. Today I'm talking about the pit of decision. And uh, I'll come back around and explain that to you in just a second. But if you don't mind, would you stand with me? I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the first uh, 18 verses of this chapter. And uh, just so we can hear the whole story in one telling, and then I can uh, talk about it as we go. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an official, an officer, sorry, of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had, brought, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Did you you know you can be a blessing to people just because you follow the Lord? For no other reason. But the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Notice that. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her. To lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work. Now, if this was a TV show, that butt would come with some really weird music. And you'd be going, no, Joseph, don't do it. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and tell you he didn't, but listen to it. But one day, but, that word but scares me. But one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and he fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and, he, and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of the household and said to them, See, he, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. And then she laid up, up his garment by her until her ma- his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. And let me go ahead and read 19. We're not going to cover it, but I just want you to see what happened. And as soon as the master heard the words, his wife spoke, This is the way... Your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison. We'll come to the prison next week. Let's pray today. Lord God, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Lord, we are so rich in in what you've given us in your word. And and that we, 
Most of us have multiple copies of your word, several different versions that we can understand better what you are saying to us. And, and Lord, there are indeed several billion people on this planet that don't even have the opportunity to hear about you. Lord, indeed, we've been given the gospel from the hands of faithful men who did not shirk the duty to tell the world about you. May we do the same. May we tell the world about our Savior and our God. Today, God, we ask that in this room, you would open our eyes of, and, and hearts of understanding that we can behold wonderful things out of your word. And God, in hearing your word, we would obey. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that you would protect us that you would stand against our enemies, send your ministering spirits to fight against those spirits that would cloud our mind, distract our attention, and close our understanding of who you are and what you want for us. And so, Lord, as believers, we take a stand against the enemy in Jesus' name and tell him you have no part with us. Leave us alone. Get out in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank y'all. Y'all can be seated. Well... A statement I want, that, that picture is a guy running and a woman holding a cloak there. But anyway, our faith can be built up or torn down in the lowest points of our life or parts of our life. I'm calling this the pit of decision because something has struck me. We see in Joseph's life that um, and, and, and the three events after his brother sold him, that he was faithful, and, and catch this because it's alliterated, and us preachers like things that start with the same letter for some reason. But he was faithful in Potiphar's house, he's faithful in the prison, and he's faithful in Pharaoh's palace. It's pretty good, huh? But what changed? What changed about Joseph that he was so, and in each of those cases, he said he gives glory to God in what happens. Here he says, how can I sin against God? In the prison, he tells the two prisoners with him, God is the interpreter of dreams. He says the same thing to Pharaoh. It's not me, but God is the one that can interpret dreams and, and is the one that can help you. And so what I realize is Joseph learned something in the pit, the pit of despair, and he turned it into a pit of decision. So that's why I'm calling it that. I'm just trying to help you make some connections so you don't hear this one story. We, we kind of grow up in church hearing the Bible stories. And it becomes this story and then that story and then that story and that story. And we never see the flow of God. Because what the Bible is is a progress of redemption. It's a, a progress of God showing us himself all through scripture. And we need to tie the front to the back. That's why we've called this whole series Genesis Back to basics. This is where it begins. We should have called it back to beginnings because that is what the word Genesis means. It's the start and the rest of the Bible is fleshing out what is revealed in Genesis. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you what I want to help you with today is how to overcome sin. You heard the story. Story's not hard to understand. But I want to give you some insights to help you overcome sin. But I want you to... I want you to understand why I said that the pit of despair became a pit of decision because the Bible doesn't tell us that, okay? It doesn't say, so while he was in the pit, this is what he did. All it says is his brothers 
they were doing violence to him of some sort. I'm sure he was at least bruised up. You know, I always think of him as all blooded up and beaten. I don't know that they hurt him that bad, but I don't know how many of his other brothers it would have taken to subdue him, but I know how many they used. They used at least nine of them because the oldest one wasn't there at the time. So nine of them jumped him and got him in a pit. So I'm sure that that wasn't a pleasant experience. And so Joseph is in this pit. And here's something that I have learned in life. That crisis brings education by experience. Crisis will bring education by experience. If you never have a crisis, you're not going to learn a whole lot. If you don't ever fail, you're not going to learn a whole lot. You learn by failure. Failure is not final nor fatal. It is if you give up and quit. I don't know why it did it. We're trying to fix that. We don't know why it does it, okay? Sorry about that noise. It, it, a crisis and failure, if you quit, okay, it becomes your stopping point. But you'll, you'll never go forward. You have to go through and over and past. You have to keep moving forward when you're hit. Because you only have a couple options. And one is to quit. The other is to not quit. If the crisis kills you, you don't have much option. So crisis brings us some education by experience. So how do I know that Joseph decided something here? And what did he decide? What I notice is after this, in each of these three instances we'll look at over the next three weeks, Joseph turns all attention back to God. So I want you to think about before Joseph got in the pit. Because he was faithful at Potiphar's, he was faithful in the prison, he's faithful at the palace. How did that happen? Let's go way back, and the Bible tells us a story about this teenage boy. We don't know how old he was. He was 17 when he went out to see his brothers, and they threw him in the pit, and he got sold into slavery. That we know. So he's 15, 16, somewhere in that area probably. And he wakes up one day, and he said, Hey, brothers, I had a dream. And they didn't say, really, Joseph, what was it? Because he's their little brother. But he told them anyway. And the dream was, one day, y'all are going to bow down to me. And they got mad at him. And then, I don't know how much longer, but later he had another dream. And he woke up and said, Dad, Mom, brothers, I had another dream. And not only did my brothers bow down, but you two will as well. Now, he didn't say it that explicitly. But that's what they got out of it. And Joseph didn't correct them. When we see him, in, at least in the prison and in Pharaoh's house, he didn't say to them, I can interpret dreams or I know what your dreams mean. They said to Joseph, we had, he said to the guys in prison, you look troubled. What's wrong? They said, we had a dream. He said, well, you know, God can interpret dreams. Why don't you tell them to me? Pharaoh has a dream and calls for him and he goes to Pharaoh's house. Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams. He said, no, God's the interpreter of dreams. But you tell me, I'll see what he says. No longer is he imposing his thoughts of his greatness on the others. He's backed it way down because there's something about being thrown into a pit and being sold into slavery that will humble you. Now, this is why a Christian ought to be humble. You ready? 
because you were in a pit of sin, sold down the river into slavery, going to hell. And Jesus rescued you. And you became his slave. And all your obedience goes to him. Catching that? Whew, that's good, y'all. I'm telling you, I, I'm just, whew, man, God has blessed his word. That, that is such a great thing to think about. What God has done for us. So Joseph learned in the pit. And I'm just telling you, you need to learn the pit. Life is not easy. Life is hard. Life is difficult. In fact, the Bible promises us that those who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's, that's a given. So if you're not suffering somewhere, somehow, because you're a Christian, you ain't doing it right. That's <laughs> what the Bible says. I don't mean be obnoxious. Don't be a jerk just, you know, just so you, somebody gets mad at you. But I promise if you talk about the Lord and you try to live for the Lord, somebody's going to oppose you at some point there. And in some places, our brothers and sisters are being killed today because they worship Jesus. And we need to be at least as faithful as they are in that kind of persecution. Well, I want you to see some things in this story, and then I'm going to give you some practical helps. And so Joseph learned in the pit. Now I just want to talk about a walk in faith. Joseph begins he was walking in faith and verse 9 of this chapter is the verse that 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 shows that to us he says to uh potiphar's wife and i notice her name's not given also notice you notice how she blamed her husband for everything your master brought this hebrew in here to laugh at us and then when she talks to him the guy you brought to the house like it's his fault when people want to blame you it's usually their fault He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? He's walking by faith now. He does not want to get outside of God's will. He does not want to hinder God's work in his life. He does not want to move to the left or the right except for what God called him to do. I had a very smart, wise man. He's smart, but he was more wise is the, the impression you get more than just... You know, some people, they're smart and you know it and they think they know it. You know that? But you know when you're in the presence of wisdom. So we always called him the wisest man in the world, okay? Um, I'm not sure that he is or was, but uh, he's in heaven now. He, he knows. But he said something one day and I wrote it down. And so I looked it up and he said this. That faith is the product of a well-fed will. You see, our will was enslaved by Satan in the garden. We don't have, you weren't born with a free will. You were born with an enslaved will. You could only do that. Jesus told the Pharisees, you can only do what your father tells you to do. And your father is not God, it's the devil. And so all you can do is what he tells you to do. And so Jesus came to break the chains of that slavery, make us slaves to Christ so we would do what Christ called us to do. You've got to be a slave. you just got to choose your master. You following me? And so what Dr. Burchett was saying there is that our faith, which is an action based on what God says, that we believe this enough to do something, is the product of our redeemed will being well fed by God's word. That we know what God has been saying to us. That we know what his will is because he put it down. He wrote it down for us. And, and our faithfulness 
of doing what we know to do is a product of a well-fed will. We exercise our will, but if we are not letting the Spirit control us and walking in the fruit of the Spirit and studying God's Word and letting God's Word become alive to us, you're not going to have much power. You're not going to have much strength. You're not going to have much ability to do what God asks you to do. And I want you to look with me uh, just to... I don't want to say prove that point, but I want to show you that point in Scripture. If you look to the next to the last book in the Bible, it's only one page. So you've got to find Revelation and go backwards till you come to Revelation 1, and it's the one before that. It's called the book of Jude. And by book, I, I hope I can write a book this short and somebody call it a book. But anyway. In Jude and verse 20... Jude writes to us and says, by the power of the Holy Spirit, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? You see, there, there is another meaning for the word faith, and that's the word being used here. And that is our set of beliefs. That is our faith. Uh, 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 back up there, at the, I think it's at the beginning of this um, book. Yeah, um, in, in chapter in, in Jude verse three, beloved. Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, in other words, we all had the same salvation. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. He's not saying contend for your actions based on the word, but contend for the word itself. Contend for this set of beliefs that we hold dear. Just to help you out, cults have two things in common. They're wrong about who Jesus is. They make him less than or more than he claimed to be. And by more than, I mean some people don't believe he was actually human. He was. He was all man and all God. And so you can't really claim Jesus more than anything, but they take away from him and say he's not human. And they have another set of Beliefs written down that they equate, put on the same level as the Bible. The Bible stands alone. It, it's, and it's absolute or it's obsolete. Everything is judged by this. And, and I, by the way, that's a popular saying today. A lot of people like to say, well, you got to check it against God's word. And if it violates God's word, then you don't do it. But that gives this sense to that. Well, figure it out for yourself and then then check out God's Word. That's backwards. Check out God's Word and do that. Then you don't have to compare it. You You let God decide for you. See what I'm saying? But we like to go, well, let's think about that. Figure it out. And then when we think we've come up with a great idea, well, now let's check it against God's Word. Well, that's, that's, a, that's reinventing the wheel. God's already given you the wheel. <laughs> Follow this. And Jude there is saying, build yourselves up, strengthen yourself in your holy faith, in this. And then pray in the Spirit. And I want to illustrate that to you a little bit so you get it. Building yourselves up are like the bones in my body. Now, I have never knowingly broken a bone. I think I've cracked a few. Um, I've hit them hard enough that they hurt for a long time. So I think I've cracked my ribs. I think I've hurt something in my foot once, at least splintered the bone a little bit. But... Never been diagnosed, never needed a cast or anything. But my skeleton gives me structure. But if I was standing here a skeleton, or even fully fleshed out, and I wasn't breathing, y'all would all be head for the exits. 
right? Could I be a dead man talking, right? So the faith gives us that structure. But did you notice the second part? Praying and you're praying in the Holy Spirit. That's the breath of God, the life of God. Back to Genesis 1. Remember, it all comes out of Genesis. Genesis 1 and 2. And God breathed into their nostrils. And man became a living soul. So in our spiritual selves, we nourish ourselves. We eat the food of the word of God. And then we breathe the Holy Spirit who gives life to that body of faith. You following me? And if you have all structure, you're dead and orthodox. If you got all spirit, you're like a boneless chicken. You're pretty excited, but you can't, you can't get anywhere. <laughs> you need the structure and the life to move, to do things, to get going. Some people emphasize one end of that over the other. And, and all of us will do that at some point. But, but the Bible encourages us to do the, the two together. Think of it like a chariot. Older folks, y'all will get this. Younger folks, just pretend like you didn't hear this. How many of y'all remember the movie Ben-Hur? Okay, one of the big things is the chariot race, right? And they're flying around. Well, those chariots only got two wheels. And in the Christian life, those two wheels are our faith, the Word, and the Spirit. And if you only got one wheel, all you can do is go in circles. And I don't mean big circles. I mean... Pointless and useless. Okay. Hebrews 4.17. I mean, not Hebrews. James 4.17. Sorry. If you just keep going back, you pass the first, second, third Johns and uh, Peter's and you come to James chapter 4 and verse 17. Just, just a short little verse. Whatever, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If you know what God demands and you know it and you don't do it, that's sin. God calls that sin. I know what God's command is, but I'm not going to do it. Now, Joseph did not have the luxury of the Ten Commandments about committing adultery, but he knew you are not supposed to do that. He knew it was a sin to take his master's wife. And he knew the right thing to do, and he did it. And to not do it would have been sin. And one more verse before we leave it. I want you to look in Romans, which if you just keep going backwards, you got to go a little further this time. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. It's the sixth book in the New Testament. And look in chapter 14. Romans 14. So toward the end of the book, it only has uh, 16 chapters. So chapter 14 and verse 23. And scripture says here, but whoever has doubt is condemned if he eats. And he's, he's been talking about eating meat offered to idols. That it freaked some people out back then. Because your eating is not a faith. It was okay to eat meat offered to idols. But for some people who came out of paganism were like, how can you eat that? It was offered to a false god. And the people who are Christians were like, yeah, but it's cheaper. I'm, I'm buying the cheaper cut of meat here. Okay, and, and so it was offending some people. And Paul says, don't offend your brother by eating meat offered to idols if it really messes up their, them up in the head. He says, but whoever doubts is already condemned if he eats it. Because eating is not from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. In other words, if you don't, 
if you think God is telling you not to eat it, then don't eat it. But if your conscience is clear, you go, it was just a statue. It's not a real God. I serve the real God, and that meat costs me less, and I can feed my family, so I'm going to eat it. He said, fine. You can do that in faith. So we are to be operating on what we know to be the revealed will of God is the shortness of that. And you can only build your faith when you're walking in freedom. Now, I've said all that to bring us to this point because I'm going to show you what enslaves you. So go ahead and put that slide up. I asked her to hold on. And uh, wow, that's, real, that's the first time I've seen it that way. I had to ask Miss, I gave Miss Debbie stick figures and said, can you reproduce that? And she sure did. So you see that number one, it's called the showdown. And there's a little cloud down here, number five, those wavy things. It, I call that the, the sin puddle. That's your personal sin puddle. So up there in the first one, it's more like, like a cloud. And that person is turned his back on his sin and he's praying toward Christ on the cross. Because it is on the cross where Jesus bought or purchased our freedom. He paid the price that God demanded for sin in your place and bought you freedom. So when you repent, you turn your back on sin and turn to the cross. Most of us are always looking at our sin going, oh, what a sinner I am. God says, turn your back on your sin and look to the cross and say, Lord Jesus, you died in my place for this nastiness that I've been doing and my sin put you on the cross and I repent. I don't want to do it anymore. I need your strength. And Jesus forgives you. And so in slide two, the dude is just walking down the road and whistling. <laughs> you know, he's just, I got, you know, it's a happy road that I'm walking on, right? That's Barry Maguire in the 80s. But anyway, so he's walking in freedom, but then suddenly he sees it coming. He has a test. Uh-oh. And he stops. Oh, no. A test. And what is the test? It's a struggle because he's seeing that personal sin puddle. I didn't define the personal sin puddle. This is a staunch belief of mine. I can't give you a verse for this. But I believe all of us have one particular sin that is more easily for us to fall into than the others. Hebrews 13 says, laying aside the sin that so easily besets us. There's some sins, don't tempt me, but there's some that I got to stay away from because they will tempt me. You follow me? Y'all are real quiet because you don't want to admit it. But yeah, that's, that is true for all of us. It could be attitude. You could just fly off the handle at the slightest provocation. It could be um, indulgence and appetite, overeating, sorry, um, or alcohol or you know, prescription drugs or anything. It, it, could, it could be uh, a sexual sin. Um, it could be worshiping a wrong religion, like going into a cult. These are all besetting sins. And so this person is now back to his sin puddle. Oh no, I'm being tempted. And this guy falls back into sin. So my question is, where did he fail? What number? I want you to guess at least one in your head. You don't have to yell it out. Some people will say, well, obviously number five. Some will say number four. Some will say number three, but it's number two. The only time you can build up your faith is when you're walking in freedom. Once you're being tested, you're thinking about both sides of this thing. I 
can't say for sure, but I would bet, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, dollars to donuts, that Joseph didn't debate with himself. He didn't go, well, if I do it, this might happen, but if I don't do it, that, you know, no. It was just, no, 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 no. He didn't debate about that at all. I don't even know if that was his personal sin puddle. I, I got a feeling it really wasn't. Seems like he married one woman, had two kids, and he was content. It's what we see by the end of his life. But I want you to understand that. Because it is when you have been delivered and been around a lot of addicts. And here's something I know. If, if a guy's a severe addict or a woman and they go into rehab, on day three when they've kind of dried out or kind of gotten over, they're like, man, I'm fixed, I'm good. And they, I'm ready to get out of here. <laughs> no, you're not. You're clean because there's about 20 people standing around you not going to let you get dirty. It takes about a year to reset your brain to success. And you can only do that when temptation has been removed from you. You with me? So when, when, if, if you have some sin thing and you repent and boy, you get away from that, that's the time to dive into God's word and find out what God has for your life and build your faith in God's word. So when the temptation comes, you go, nope, ain't doing it. Now, the next slide or the, the next thing I want to talk about, repenting and strengthening your faith. How do you do that? And... Um, I should have asked her to put these up there and I didn't. But I want you to understand Joseph's sin is not recorded in the Bible. But I've described the place that possibly he had some pride when he insisted to tell his brothers and his family about his dreams. God may have been telling him that to say, Joseph, you're about to go through some tough stuff. But don't worry, at the end you're going to come out okay. That might have been a better interpretation of his dream than going, hey, all y'all going to bow down to me. But Joseph catches it in the pit of despair and it becomes a pit of decision and he sees it lived out so that when we get to that, you see that Joseph's finally figured all that out. That he is in a struggle because God, by the way, I wanted to say this today, every struggle you have is God preparing you for the next thing. You understand me? You, nobody starts, let's say, whatever it is you want to do, when you can do it well, that's a hundred. Nobody starts out at 100. They don't start out at 99. They don't start out at 90. You don't even start at 50. You don't start at 20. You start at 1. And in a progression, you move. But we live in a microwave world, don't we? I can talk to someone, on the, and I've done it twice in the past month, somebody in Africa and somebody in Israel on my phone that quick. And we have no patience anymore for the process that creates godliness in us it is a long process and God doesn't have microwave Christians and so everything you go through is preparing you for the next thing but if you're writing please try to write this down I'll, I'll ask Debbie put this on the website in fact what I'm about to say is on the app in the website because I give her, she puts the full outline there but 1 John 1 7 just write that reference down it says that the blood of Christ cleanses us from all sin. So you need to claim the blood of Jesus Christ on your specific sin, whatever it is. And don't, don't short sell it. Don't say, Lord, I made a mistake. Lord, I fooled around. Lord, I slipped. No, Lord, 
I wanted to sin against you, and I did. And I enjoyed it. See, the problem with sin is it's fun. In churches, for a long time, people try to make sin look dirty and nasty. It's actually fun. It just will kill you when you're done with it. It winds up in hell. That's why you don't want to do it. But you don't know that at the beginning. You only know that when you get too far into it. So 1 John 1, 7, claim the blood of Jesus on your specific sin. Secondly, Colossians 1, 13 says that God, Jesus trans, transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. So acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord of all and Lord over this specific area in your life. I've got this sin. I've got my blah sin puddle right there. And... And by the way, remember the first slide, the first guy on that slide? Don't repent looking at your sin. You only look at the cross and say, that thing back there, it was this, and I know it was wrong, and I'm looking to the cross. And understand that Jesus is Lord of your life. You say, well, I thought Christians didn't sin. I don't know where you got that. It's not in the Bible at all. All this wouldn't be in there if, if we were instantly made perfect. So you need to claim the blood of Christ on specific sin. Acknowledge Jesus. You are Lord. You are the boss. You're the dictator. We, that word Lord, we use it commonly today. We even say it all the time, the Lord Jesus Christ. But you need to understand that means an absolute dictator. Jesus is the dictator of your life. He, is, he, he tells you what to do and you do it. But he's a loving dictator. And in the Roman world... Caesar demanded to be called Lord and the Christians wouldn't do it and that's why they were persecuted. They would only call Jesus Lord. They would not call a, a human government Lord. They refused. And so they were put to death for it. Thirdly, Mark eleven twenty two to 24. In the name of Jesus, resist, refuse, and reject Satan from your life. Just tell him he has no part in your life at all. That's Mark eleven, twenty-two to 24. I'm going to read that one to you because um, honestly, I, I kind of forgot exactly what it says. So let me look at it real quick. Um, truly, uh, I'm sorry. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. So resist, refuse and reject Satan from your life. There's a time that comes in our life when we when we need to quit Speaking to God about the mountain and speak to the mountain about God. Notice there he says, if you say to the mountain, the mountain is our enemy. And you need to talk to God about the enemy. But then every once in a while, the enemy's right there. I see you. Get out. You have no part in my life. Leave in Jesus' name. You don't have that power. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But you better not crawl into the ring with a champion. Unless Jesus is with you. you got to understand that because you get killed, you get hurt. Ephesians 5.18 asks to be refilled with the Holy Spirit. That's where it says don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit comes to salvation but refilling comes as much as you need it. As long as you open yourself to it. And I've illustrated before, there, this was a full glass of water, now it's got a lot less. When it's empty I can put something else in here. 
But until it's empty of one thing, I can't put anything else in. See what I'm saying? Or it'll be diluted. So the Holy Spirit comes into the parts that you make room for him. And that's why Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death the things that are, the deeds of the, this body. And open yourself up to Christ. That's Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Spirit. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 57, enter a time of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord for his deliverance. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. And so what can you do? Well, you can do that. And that's a means of repentance, but it's also a means of strengthening yourself in Christ. You may not have specific sin to name, but you can go to God and start claiming the blood of Christ, thanking him. You can acknowledge him as Lord. You can, uh, uh, in the name of Jesus, refuse and resist the devil from your life. You can be filled, ask to be filled in the Holy Spirit, and then be thankful. Go immediately to Thanksgiving, because Thanksgiving creates humility in our lives. But here's some stuff you can do today. First of all, decide today whom you will serve, yourself or God. Because when you're serving yourself, you're not really serving yourself. You're serving the devil. Secondly, it, it, God gives you desires and abilities. I'm not saying if, if you're not a preacher or missionary, you're, you're serving yourself. But what you do in life, you ought to be doing at the will of God. That, that's my point. I, I hope you understood that. I, I realize that somebody might misunderstand what I was saying there. Secondly, build yourself up in your faith. Memorize and meditate on Scripture. Meditation is not emptying your mind. Meditating is taking the truth of the Word of God and, and mulling it over and over. It's, it, actually, the Word is, comes from watching a cow chew the cud. You know, a cow has five stomachs, and he eats, eats stuff, puts it in the first stomach, digests something, comes back up, he chews it some more, and sends it to the second stomach, and then the third, and then the fourth, and the fifth. He chews it over and over and over. We call that chewing the cud. That's where we get the word meditate. So you take the Word of God, and more you chew on it, and go, whoa, that was awesome. What I just said about Joseph in the pit, that came, came to, I, I want to say me, but that'd be kind of a lie. Janice and I were talking about it. And she said, why was Joseph so faithful after than before? And I got to thinking about it and went, oh, <laughs> there it is. He was faithful because those dreams and how it progressed. See, sometimes you can meditate with a faithful partner too. Memorize and meditate on your scriptures. And then thirdly, Follow the steps of repentance and building. That stuff I just gave you. Just in your life, do that this week. And ask God's help. And the more you build up your faith, the more you walk in, in obedience to God, the more you can flee temptation. The Bible says over and over to run from it, to flee from it. Joseph is an example of it. Literally run away from it. I don't know about you... I watch these TV shows and something bad's about to happen. And I don't know why. I, it, it, the dumbest stuff. They, it's written in a script so the actor does it. They stand there and watch it happening. And you're screaming, run! Why are you standing there? Get out of there! That's what Jesus is saying to us. Why are you standing there? Run! Go! Flee immorality. Flee sin. Flee youthful lust, the Bible says. And Joseph showed it. He ran away and he ran straight into the arms of God.